0: A little hidden history, a little pedagogy, a lot of ways we can improve our teaching and mindset so that our history and social studies classrooms tell a more complete, diverse human story. I'm Cheryl Ann Amendola, and this is the Teaching History Her Way podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Teaching History Her Way podcast. My name is Cheryl Ann Amendola, and I am so very, very glad that you are here. My apologies for the delay. In recording episodes, COVID kind of hit our house and things were a little wishy-washy for a while, but now, thankfully, everyone's all better and we're all caught up, and I am back with you to talk to you about some Asian American history. In fact, this episode is inspired by one of my students. During Women's History Month, I dressed up as a suffragist one day, and one of my students raised her hand and asked me, what is Asian American women's involvement was in the suffragist movement. And I had one of those teacher moments where I looked through the entire catalog in my head as quickly as I could. And even though I knew there were Asian American women involved in the suffragist movement, I couldn't think of anything in particular to tell my student. And teachers, that's okay. That is always okay. Because Our students need to know that we don't know everything and that we are still on a learning journey as well. So I looked at my student and I said, I will get back to you. And the important part of that is, friends, is that we actually get back to our students. So I did some research and I did some digging and did some reflecting. And through my reflections, I realized that my Asian American history background is not that solid. It's okay. But the Asian joy piece beyond activist Fred Korematsu, is not really there. So I resigned myself to the fact that I don't know that much about Asian American women's history and that it's time for me to learn. So I've been looking for books. I've been looking for online articles. And in my search, I was led to a book called Finish the Fight, The Brave and Revolutionary Women Who Fought for the Right to Vote. And what's really special about this book is that it talks about women who we don't normally hear about in our history textbooks. So it acknowledges the Lucretia Mott's and the Susan B. Anthony's of the world. But then it says, but I bet you didn't know about these people. And wouldn't you know, there were many women in that book that I had never heard of. So it was really enlightening to me. And the women in the book are women of color who were part of the suffragist movement. And as I was reading, I came across Mabel ping Lee. And quite frankly, she is amazing. So she was the person that I was looking for to talk to my student about very specific Asian American women who were involved in the suffragist movement. And I realized that there are more, but today I want to talk to you about what I learned about Mabel ping Lee as soon as I decided to look at myself as a teacher and figure out that there was more for me to learn. And wow, is Mabel ping Lee really, really interesting. So to my fifth grade student who asked this question about Asian American suffragist women, this episode is for you. So when we hear the names Lucretia Mott or Susan B. Anthony or Elizabeth Cady Stanton, I'm sure that most of us automatically think about women's suffrage. But the suffrage movement in the United States was led by far more than the usual names that we always hear. There were women of every color, ethnicity, race, and sexuality that fought hard for universal women's suffrage. And Mabel Pinghua Li was one of them. She was born in Canton City, China. Her father, Dr. Li Tu, was a missionary, and he moved to the United States when she was four. Mabel ping Huali's father was admitted to the United States during a time when many Chinese immigrants were not allowed in. He was fluent in English, and he was allowed to emigrate here because the U.S. was admitting Chinese teachers, diplomats, merchants, and missionaries. But even then, a person who was one of those jobs would have had to have had, quote-unquote, proper certification. So Dr. Tu, Mabel ping Huali's father led the first Chinese Baptist church in Chinatown in New York City. While he was in the United States, Mabel Pinghua Lee lived with her mother and grandmother until she moved to Chinatown in New York City in 1905 to reunite with her father. In the meantime, while she was in China still, Her father earned the nickname of, quote unquote, the mayor in the neighborhood because he was so involved with all of the citizens and he acted as a liaison between the Chinese citizens and the other groups of people in New York City. So the Chinese population in New York City was really small compared to the Chinese population on the West Coast. According to 1910 census data, there were 10,582 people of Chinese descent in San Francisco in 1910. This is compared with 4,686 people of Chinese descent in New York City. The census data also reveals some other interesting statistics. So this isn't necessarily about Mabel Ping-Hua Lee, but it's important for us to understand the community that she entered in 1905 in Chinatown. So, for example, of the people of Chinese descent in the United States, 15% of men were listed as servants on the census, census. 12% were listed as farmers, and 10% were listed as laundry operators. As far as female people of Chinese descent, 33% of women were listed as servants as their occupation, followed by 12% as farm laborers and 10% as garden, greenhouse, orchard, and nursery workers. So in my diving into the census data for New York City, which is important to Mabel Ping Li's story, I wanted to find out more for my student about the Chinese American population in the largest city closest to us in New Jersey, and that's Newark, New Jersey. So according to the 1910 census, there were 261 people of Chinese descent in Newark, New Jersey, and that's a really small population. But another thing that I found out is that there was a, actually there still is, a Dutch Reformed church in the town over from Newark, Belleville, New Jersey, where I grew up, where many of the first Chinese immigrants to the East Coast are buried. Most of them worked on the Transcontinental Railroad and were brought to Belleville through this Dutch Reformed church to work at a laundry. And from there, they moved to Newark to open their own businesses. I thought that was very cool, and I really wanted to share that with her. So back to Mabel Pinghua Lee, who I'm going to refer to as Dr. Lee going forward, because that's uh, a title that she earned. She won a scholarship to get an education in the United States. She attended Erasmus Hall Academy in Brooklyn, and you can still visit Erasmus Hall Academy. It is at 911 Flatbush Avenue. It's not open to the public. You can only stand outside and look at it, but it's still standing as a part of the National Register of Historic Places. So Dr. Lee went there, and then from there, she went on to graduate from Barnard and was the first Chinese woman to get a doctorate from Columbia University. Her degree was in economics. So it's really, really important for us to note that at the time that Dr. Lee was active in the suffragist movement, which, by the way, was when she was a teenager. So if there are any high school students listening, you have the power to do this kind of thing too. She could not become a U.S. citizen for most of her life. So Dr. Lee is fighting for suffrage for women, universal suffrage for women, knowing that she would not be granted that right because she couldn't become a citizen. And the reason she couldn't become a citizen is because she was Chinese. That's the only reason. So the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was a federal law in place from 1882 to 1943, meant that she wouldn't be able to vote even if universal suffrage for women came into fruition. It prevented Chinese immigrants from becoming citizens and was passed as a direct result of anti-Chinese sentiment at the time. So Basically what was happening particularly on the west coast is Chinese immigrants were really successful. So they weren't necessarily going to California as many of the people from the east coast went there to dig for gold, but they were opening laundries, they were farming in the style that they had brought here from China, they were opening places that people could buy supplies and they were making quite a lot of money. And that success brought jealousy from in particular, white citizens who were not doing as well. And with that came anti-Chinese sentiment. And that anti-Chinese sentiment was followed by laws that excluded them from becoming citizens in the United States and also limited the number of Chinese immigrants who could come to the United States, which was why Dr. Lee's father was one of very few who were allowed, because immigration from China was restricted to certain occupations. And a certain number of people. So the whole idea of the Chinese Exclusion Act was it was meant to limit Chinese laborers when native white sentiment helped grow white Americans' fears of losing opportunities to non-whites. So we really have to be honest in our understanding when we think of Mabel Pinghua Lee and we think of Asian American history that Asian hate has been Part of the history of our country for a really long time. It's uncomfortable. It's something that we don't like to admit because it's not a good part of our history, but it's there. By ignoring the contributions of people like Dr. Lee, we continue to other the Asian community, which is not okay. And doing that perpetuates prejudice and stereotypes and acts of violence against them. So we as teachers and as learners can emulate part of Dr. Lee's mission to dispel the stereotypes about. Chinese people and Chinese Americans and advocate for New York's Chinese community. And we can advocate for our Chinese community here in the United States. Dr. Lee was heavily involved not only in advocating for the Chinese and Chinese American community in New York City, but she was very heavily involved in the suffrage movement, even though she wouldn't be able to vote if universal suffrage passed. I cannot emphasize that enough. I also wonder all the time, what motivated her to fight for something that she would not see for herself in her lifetime. I mean, eventually she became eligible to vote, but there's no record that she ever registered. As a teenage suit in the 1910s, she was considered a radical for being a suffragist, but she thought voting was a key to women's rights. And she also recognized women's rights as a big issue in China too. And that was important to her. Because suffrage was so much a part of both places she identified as home, she wanted to be involved in the U.S. suffrage movement. Dr. Lee gave speeches, wrote articles for a monthly magazine for Chinese students in America, and she had a vision of equality based on the values of her family's church. She also dreamed of going back to China— It became a republic in 1911 after the Chinese Revolution, and that gave way to women's enfranchisement in China. She wanted to use what she learned in the American suffragist movement to liberate Chinese women too. She drew this inspiration from her mom. Her mom didn't have educational opportunities in China, and her feet were only a few inches long because they had been bound as a part of tradition. So unfortunately... Dr. Lee never realized her dream of liberating Chinese women, as her father died in 1924, and she took care of her widowed mom and her father's church after that. Dr. Lee was a member of the New York Women's Political Equality League. On March 4th, 1912, at 16 years old, she led a group of Chinese and Chinese-American women in the 1912 New York City Suffragist Parade. It was one of the biggest suffrage parades in U.S. history. 20,000 suffragists marched up Fifth Avenue from Washington Square Park. And Dr. Lee, she was awesome. She rode on horseback. And she wore the colors of the British suffragists, purple for nobility, white for purity, and green as a symbol of spring and hope. The parade, though, was just the beginning of her career as an activist. She also led a group of Chinese and Chinese-American women in another New York City suffrage parade in 1917. Dr. Lee's work directly led to the passage of New York suffrage for women in 1917. So Dr. Lee fought for women's suffrage, even though she'd not immediately be able to vote or even benefit directly from suffrage. It wasn't until 1943 when the Chinese Exclusion Act was repealed that Chinese American women got the vote. Even so, though, even though the Chinese Exclusion Act was repealed in 1943, immigration from China was still capped at 105 people per year. So suffrage was just one part of Dr. Lee's life as an activist. She raised money to fund a Chinese Christian center on 21 Pell Street in Chinatown. And you can also still visit that. It's still open. She thought having a Chinese church would be a place of support and freedom for Chinese people who were marginalized and oppressed in the United States. As the new leader of her father's church, she organized the church missionary, and she named it Morningstar Mission. The church gave lessons in English, taught trade skills, had a medical clinic and it had a kindergarten and it still offers those services. Dr. Lee started so many years ago. Dr. Lee was an incredible woman and I'm so glad to be able to share her story with my students. I'm so glad that I learned about her so that I could share my share her story with you. And I'm also so glad that my fifth grader gave me pause and helped me remember that I don't know everything. There's still so much more for me to learn. There's so much more for me to learn about my students. There's more for me to learn about history. There's more for me to learn about myself. And I always have to remember that being a lifelong learner sometimes means taking a lesson from my students too. And scratch that, it's not sometimes, often. Often our students are just the inspiration for so many wonderful things, including improving ourselves. So be present for them, listen to them, and teach them stories that reflect who they are. Because who knows, maybe my fifth grade student is going to be an activist like Dr. Lee, who's going to change things for people big and small, make huge changes, make little changes. Make waves and ruffles in the community that lead to more rights for more people. Dr. Lee demonstrated what women could do given the opportunity to speak their mind and work freely in communities. So shouldn't we give our students those stories so that they can dig deep and find out who they can be too? Thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of the Teaching History Her Way podcast. If you would like to get in touch with me outside the podcast, you can always find me on Twitter at History Her Way, or you can find me on Instagram, at Teaching History Her Way, on Facebook, at Teaching History Her Way, or you can visit my website and blog, www.teachinghistoryherway.com. While you're there, check out the merch section. I've been designing some really cool history t-shirts to help me fund the production of the Teaching History Her Way podcast. Until next time, have a wonderful, wonderful week.